I mean, everybody at some point, they want to catch the big three, tarpon, permit, and bonefish. So the reason why I love Mexico and I love Belize is because you can catch all three. Actually, you can even catch snook down there and, and make it a super slam. Um, and the fish are plentiful. So someone who's been there, who's done a few trips, and they kind of want something a little more challenging and a little more diverse, I, I would say, you know, join us in El Pescador or at Turner Flats, you know, one of the Belize trips. That was Joe Ballerini sharing one of his top go-to destinations for 2022 and beyond. The main man behind the only saltwater print magazine in the game today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. Did you know that you can now leave a rating on Spotify? If you're a Spotify user, if you're listening right now on Spotify, you could help out a lot. If you could click down there and click that star button and uh, and give us a five-star rating today if you've been enjoying the show and getting some value out of it. We'd really appreciate that. I think that probably helps us find a few more people out there that maybe can uh, learn a little bit about what we got going today. Today's episode is presented by the Fly Fishing Film Tour. The Fly Fishing Film Tour is back again. Don't miss this year's 2022 F3T as it returns to theaters near you for another big season. If you can, please head over to wetflyswing.com slash F3T to find a show near you. That's wetflyswing.com slash F3T to check out a showing and a local event near you. Flyfilmtour.com. This episode is also presented by our brother from another mother. Tokens Fly Shop provides high-quality products at, at a great and amazing value. Killer materials, tools, accessories... Since 2005, Tokens has been over-delivering on price, great service, and passion. And now, it's time to discover what Tokens has going for you. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Tokens, and you can check out what they have going right now. You can support this podcast by clicking through that link to Tokens online. That's wetflyswing.com slash Tokens, T-O-G-E-N-S. Tokens! The head man at Tail Magazine and Strong Magazine shares his story of why he created one of the only print magazines in salt and how it all came to be. It's kind of a little bit unlikely. Uh, I'm not sure if, if Joe had it all planned out. We were going to talk about that today. Joe also describes Andros, some doable trips this year and some trips that are a little bit more for the advanced person. We talk about where you should be heading uh, this year if you maybe only have one trip to do, one of these destination salt trips. And we also find out how he does all this and also being a ER doctor. So Joe is an emergency room doctor and uh, and we don't get much into that because obviously that we know that's a crazy world, but somehow he's got these both going and they fit synergistically. That's the word of the week, synergistic. So let's take that in, stop and we'll take a little deep breath compose ourselves, get ready to jump into this one without further ado here is joe ballerini from tailflyfishing.com how's it going joe hey great dave how are you doing i'm doing pretty well doing pretty well uh it's gonna be a good one today we're gonna jump uh jump into it here and dig into your background on starting uh a pretty unique magazine and uh, and the story there and a couple of magazines you got a few things going on here so we're going to dig into 
those magazines. But first, take us back to how you first got into fly fishing. Okay, so um, I'm originally from Pennsylvania, now living in uh, southeast Florida, in, uh, Miami Beach. We had a summer home in New Jersey, and that's what kind of started me off really fishing. And this was regular uh, bait casting, fishing in the bays and in the marshes for striped bass and, you know, um, weak fish, pretty much all the, all the, uh, Atlantic, Northern Atlantic species, flounder, that sort of thing. So one, uh, fall, my cousin came down and had this really unique looking fly rod, something I'd never seen before, long rod, you know, strange reel. And he was casting in the surf for, for striped bass. So that was something that, um, that was new and revolutionary for me. And he's the one who kind of introduced me to uh, fly fishing. So that was when I was around 10 or 11. And it didn't really take, um, I didn't start buying my own gear until I was probably in my 20s. But that was the first time I started doing it. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, once I discovered tarpon, uh, the rest is history. So <laughs> I went to medical school in Philadelphia, and one of my best buds in med school was from Florida, and um, he did his residency in, at Mount Sinai here in emergency medicine. So I would come down and sleep on a sofa and visit and then go fish for tarpon in the morning, you know, charter someone and, and, and go out. And um, it was great. I did that for a few years before buying my own place down here and then, you know, discovering permit bonefish snook you know the, the the amazing fishery here i just had to buy a house and here i am and you're still there so you've been down there uh, ever since correct so uh, i've been here on and off for about 30 years and i bought a place in 2009 so a little over 13 years gotcha okay and where are you at now which uh, city or town are you in miami beach oh yeah Nice. All right. And, uh, and then, so it, take us to the, uh, the magazines, how that started the tail magazine. And now you have another one going on as well. Gotcha. So in all my, um, my travels here fishing and pretty much all over the world fishing, I've been Costa Rica, Belize, uh, Mexico, you name it. But I noticed one consistent theme that there was always trash and junk. Um, and I particularly noticed it in my fisheries here in Florida before I had a boat, I used to do a lot of kayak fishing, which brought you through the mangroves and through all these little nooks and crannies. And there was always trash there. Um, and, you know, consumer trash like mylar balloons and styrofoam um, coolers and, you know, that sort of thing. And it was really irritating. So I wanted to, you know, I looked like a trash barge coming back after I went out fishing one because I'd pick up everything I'd see. And, um, I wanted to do something about it, um, you know, spread the word, you know, help people to become aware that, you know, we're doing bad things to the water, to the land, to the animals. So I started this website called Flyfish Bonehead, and it was an informational website, you know, so people would come there and find information about saltwater fly fishing and all the various species. But they also had an opportunity to, um, you know, be served a a message about conservation. So that was the crux of Flyfish Bonehead. And it was a great idea, but it was somewhat poorly executed. The magazines came about because Tail Fly Fishing Magazine was going to be the, the reason why people would come to the website. It was the draw for the website to serve them the conservation message. 
it was a free magazine back then and it was only available in digital and we did um in two years we had about thirty six thousand digital readers so it was a big hit to my surprise how long did it take it to uh from when you started to uh, become a big hit do you think was that a like a, a couple years sort of process um sort of it it's strange what happened was um about six months after I launched Tail, Fly Fishing in Saltwaters, uh, which was like the dominant saltwater fly fishing magazine, they folded. They closed up shop. I don't think because they weren't profitable. I think because they weren't profitable enough. You know how big companies make stupid decisions. So what happened was they closed that down, and I think everyone went looking for other magazines, and I think we were just kind of lucky at that point because all the people that were displaced by the loss of fly fishing in salt water uh, ended up finding us. So we, we had a huge boom and very unexpected. That was in, like I said, the first year. I don't think tail was really a big thing. I think it was still kind of niche and still is kind of niche. But we didn't really take off until we started printing. And even at that, people had the wait and see approach and they kind of sat back and said, we're, we're going to wait and see what direction these guys go in. And then fortunately, it's been nothing but an upward tra- trajectory since we started. There you go. So the big push was when you got the actual print magazine going. Correct. Nice. Honestly, we had so many digital readers all over the world because it was free. And like I said, the other magazine went out of business. But, um, you know, that free and... Um, and people looking to replace something is not ideal. You know, we hadn't monetized it. We hadn't, um, you know, we, we hadn't charged anyone for it. So, of course, it's going to have a ton of readers. Yeah, exactly. So and when you did that, when you first uh, monetized it, what, what was that transition like? Did you see a, a little drop off or just, I, mean, I guess you're probably just shooting for a certain percentage of your audience to buy into it. Or how does that work? If somebody goes there now, do they, to see the content, can they read some of it online? Yeah, they, they can. They can go to the website and they can see the first 16 pages of any issue. Um, so we still give them kind of a look into it. But um, our numbers, we were hoping to get 50% of the people that were free readers to convert. And, you know, law of probabilities of if something, you know, bad's going to happen and it, or could happen, it's going to happen. So we ended up with like less than 10%. So out of the first initial pool, I remember being thrilled that we even had 10%. You know, I remember I was talking to Tom Rosenbauer at one of the shows and, um, cause Tom was in Orvis, they, they were supporters early on. So we're Thomas and Thomas, um, which was very nice. And we had the loop back then as well, but yeah, I, I told them, you know, we, we converted 10%. It's pretty good. You know, it's almost 4,000 people, you know, it's not a, a bad way to start off a magazine. Yeah. Looking back, you know, it's, terrible <laughs> we, we had 15 you know 16,000 but a lot of the readers were um overseas and as you know the cost is it's kind of cost prohibitive oh right you now a, a big heavy magazine overseas it would cost you know 20 bucks to mail it so the the rates are are pretty high for overseas excluding that whole crew gotcha and that's uh and is t- how many uh, times does that come out per year so Tail Fly Fishing Magazine is a um, bi-monthly publication. It's um, We make it six times a year, starting in January. And 
it's always 100 to 124 pages. And we pride ourselves in the fact that we don't do more than 20% advertising. So it's 80% content, unlike most of the other magazines out there that are 80% advertising and, and the content is so minimal, you have to root through the, uh, the ads to find something to read. It's uh, completely different. Gotcha. Okay. I want to dig in in a little bit to the uh, some trips, some of the destinations. I know you have some hosted trips coming up, quite a few coming up in the next couple of years. But uh, before we get there, let's talk about the magazine. So for somebody who doesn't have it in front of them, just describe a little bit about, you know, describe the magazine to somebody new to it. What can they expect to see in there? Okay. Well, I'm going to focus tail and then I'll, I'll do strong. But uh, so tail fly fishing magazine is a... Um, uh, it's a really premium magazine made on um, high-grade paper. It's um, The paper is very thick. It's not cheap newsprint, and it's totally focused on saltwater fly fishing. We do a soft-touch uh, UV finish on the, the cover, so it's actually waterproof. Um, I don't know if people know that. Oh, wow. A little touch we do. And, um, uh-huh. you know, we have a couple of big-name people on staff. I mean, George Roberts, who wrote Master the Cast, is our acquisitions editor. Um, Trey Reed is our managing editor. He has a, a radio show in Alabama, um, and he's uh, he's an avid huntsman and, and fisherman. Uh, we also have someone by the name of Chico Fernandez. Um, <laughs> yeah, probably w- one of the you know legendary top five fly anglers in saltwater. Uh huh. So he's uh, he's been a friend of the magazine for years, but he officially came on board about a year and a half ago. Andy Mill, who former Olympian and five-time Gold Cup champion, Tarpon Angler, him and his son. Uh, they do a podcast, which is fantastic, and we um, we have both of them on the editorial staff as well. Uh, we also have Joe Doggett from the Houston Chronicle. I mean, it's a really um, extensive staff, and a lot of them are, are not full-time. You know, they just contribute um, from time to time, but um, the, the roster is pretty impressive. It's a, a really great magazine that focuses on destination travel. Um, we don't do a lot of how-to, but most of the, t- the features will give a lot of description, you know, people talking about where they are and, and what they're doing. And it, it gives you a lot of insight because these are pretty well-known and pretty high-end fly anglers. And then we do food, we do drink. Um, we do a lot of different things to keep it entertaining. And um, one of the comments we frequently get is, my wife doesn't even fish, but she loves your magazine. Huh. And it, <laughs> it's because we we make it aesthetically pleasing and we make sure that the writing's really good. So it's a, it's a pretty solid production. Yeah. Now, Strung is kind of a compliment. And that was a magazine that was uh, born in 2018, December of 2018. And I just got sick of um, companies that um, in the, the fly fishing industry that said, well, you know, we don't do a lot of saltwater. So I said, well, I'll give them a freshwater product um, and I'll pair it with, you know, my, my other passions of, you know, the outdoors. So we include bird hunting. We do uh, duck hunting, big game, fly fishing, food and, and travel. So Strung is kind of, um, I guess, the most similar magazine to it would be Gray Sporting Journal. But I, I would that's what we're compared to often. But I would say we're we're a modern version of of Gray's, um, and I guess you have to check it out. Same deal um, on the Strung site. You would um, you can preview the first twenty pages of uh, Strung 
of any issue if you go online strongmag.com okay perfect yeah so you can check it out there and and so you have these two things going. So for you, and you are also, uh, this is kind of like a secondary thing. Uh, I mean, how much time does it take? I mean, you're kind of the editor of both of these. Is, is that the case? Uh, and, and how much time do you spend doing this? Yeah, it's definitely my side hustle. It was far better than an Uber uh, gig. But um, <laughs> I work full time as, um, as an ER doctor. And I, I'm starting to cut my hours back a little bit because the magazines are very time consuming. I'm the editor in chief of Tail Fly Fishing Magazine, and, and I have a someone else doing the uh, editorial work on Strung. That's Ryan Spark. Oh, okay. So I'm only the publisher there, um, and I kind of oversee that, but I'm not involved in the heavy lifting. Ryan and his team does most of that. Gotcha. So, you know, and again, I have George and Trey who are incredibly helpful. Um, I couldn't do it without them, honestly. So they, they do most of the heavy lifting on tail. Um, you know, we, we work together. We have a meeting prior to uh, launching an issue, and we talk about what, what this issue is about and what we want it to look like. And then we, we kind of look at the content we have on hand, and we, um, we kind of go get the rest of the stuff we need because we've been doing it for almost 10 years, so we have all the contacts we need. So it's gotten a lot easier what's happening now is it's gone more from it used to be a scramble for content a scramble for photos and you know where to find things and now that part's easy but um the base has grown so so significantly that now the customer service and you know the travel all the other aspects of it have grown you know i'm grateful for it but it's it's definitely time consuming yeah so it's uh continuing to grow and why do you think you know in the the saltwater space with uh, tail that the, you're the only man. I mean, I guess it's magazines have been kind of going away. Are there other more online versions of kind of the saltwater stuff out there? Like magazine wise, there's another saltwater magazine out of Australia and it's digital only. And that's it. As far as salt. That's it. I think part of it is, um, the market, you know, fly fishing itself is niche. When you, when you look at how many people, hunt you know have a hundred million people that have hunting licenses various hunting licenses you know when you look at people that fly fish you might have you know 38 million people in the entire country and then you take a subset of that which is your saltwater fly fishermen i mean most of those people let's face it trout is the species if you fly fish that's what fly fishing is all about so now you 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 take out that subset that does the saltwater stuff because you're limited to the coast. So you, you have your Northeast, your Mid-Atlantic, and then you have your um, Southeast, um, Florida Keys. Yep. You have the Gulf, and then you have Southern California. I can make a debate for Northern California and, you know, um, <laughs> yeah. sea run, salmon, and, you know, yep. that, that sort of thing. But you, you lost the entire interior of the United States, so you lost about, you know, 70% of it. Oh, wow, yeah. That said, you know, it's a very small market, and, <clears throat> I mean, how many... You know, how many articles can you read about, you know, a particular fishery or a particular thing? I guess the topics aren't just not as plentiful. So it, yeah. it kind of prohibits big magazine coming in. They just can't make a big enough profit yeah. for us. You know, it, if we make a profit, we're thrilled. So it's not yeah. our primary gig. So gotcha. this is a labor of love for us, allowing us to do it. I see. Yeah, yeah, that, no, that makes total sense. So. 
Okay, and and let's talk about a little bit on on trips. So uh, you've got some trips coming up. Talk about those trips, and think of it somebody who maybe isn't hasn't been all around the world and wants to do some saltwater trips. Uh, could they pick up your magazine, read through a few, and get some ideas on where to go? What what would you tell somebody that had some questions about where to go? Well, there's always destination travel in there. We actually have um, Peter McLeod from Ark McLeod. They're kind of like the uh, the yellow dog of the UK. Um, he's our travel editor mm. and they do great work, but, um, we host a variety of trips and we do some that are, um, some that are basic and some that are more advanced and some locations that are very technical and some that are pretty easy. So we do that on purpose. Um, for example, we just were in Andros at, um, at one of the Daniki lodges, Andros South, um, in the Bahamas. And that was a trip. Uh, where you could be an expert or you could be a beginner and still catch fish. Andros is legendary for for bonefish. So that said, you know, yes, you can pick up a lot of information by reading the magazine. Um, And then our travel section in the back usually has a variety of trips. And if you reach out to us, um, you know, one of us will get back to you um, and talk to you about the trip itself. And, you know, we've turned people away. I've had people call. We're we're hosting a a permit tournament in... um, Punta Allen, and that's in conjunction with Punta Allen Fishing Club and the Grand Slam Lodge. And what we're doing is, um, you know, we're having a three-day permit tournament, also prizes for other fish, but to not get into all the nitty-gritty details, it's a tournament, and it's there will be a winner. It's not like a full-blown competitive tournament that, you know, Andy Mill would, would enter like the, the Gold Cup. It's not thing like that it's to benefit the school of Punta Allen. And that's why we're doing it because the school got ravaged by hurricane. And, um, you know, it's just, it's not up to the standards that we have in the United States. So we're going to try to do something to help out the next generation of kids in an area that, you know, we all visit and enjoy because it's Ascension Bay. It's one Mm -hmm. of the best places to fish. So that said, um, I'm way off track, Dave. I'm sorry. No, this is good. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) So that said, um, I've had people call about the tournament and they say, well, you know, I just started fishing uh, a couple months ago. And, you know, as much as I'd love to say, yeah, well, come on down. It's going to be a very friendly environment. It's a tournament. I don't think they should be going on their first saltwater trip in a competitive, you know, because I don't don't know how competitive people are going to be. From what I'm getting, it's not going to be crazy intense. You know, everyone's really there to, to benefit the school and most people who have signed up even donated additional funds to um, to the school in addition to the entry fee. So that said, um, you know, when people call me for the Bahamas trip and they tell me they've been to Seychelles and, and Christmas Island, I say, hey, you're going to be really bored because, um, you know, most of the bonefish in the Bahamas are, are smaller sized. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once I get a feel, and that's why I like to talk to everyone about the trip, and it's kind of unique in that way because we will turn people away, whereas a lot of these other travel companies are just looking for numbers. They're just trying to fill trips so one of their guys go for free. I mean, we have a relationship with the lodge. We don't need to go on a free trip. We can go anytime we want because we're, we're the media. And we do these trips to kind of be ambassadors for saltwater fly fishing. And we, we nurture the ones who need it, and we challenge the ones who are more advanced. And that's what makes our hosted travel special. A quick break from uh, one of our sponsors. Deddy Flies, established in 1928, is one of the oldest family-run fly shops in the country. 
You know, I love the history and fly fishing. It's always a big thing for me on the podcast. Um, and there's a reason why you should probably check them out. Deddy's been around for a long time, producing great service and products. And it's an easy way to support them and support us at the same time. Joe and the family have been leading things there. The cat skill style is always a hot topic for me and others out there. How do you tie and get the right materials for those high quality flies? This is how you do it. Connect with a fly shop like Deddy, and they will show you how to put that together. Located in Livingston Manor, Deddy is your welcoming place online or on the creek. Their retail and online shop have a large selection of flies, materials, fly fishing gear, and lots more. Of course, Deddy also offers fly fishing and casting lessons, as well as guided trips. For more information, visit DeddyFlies at wetflyswing.com slash Deddy. Or you can give them a call right now, 845-439-1166. That's wetflyswing.com slash Deddy. D-E-T-T-E. Okay, back to the show. So the host of travel that you guys are doing are just basically you're out of the, you're they're your readers or people that are on your your newsletter or subscribers for the most part is that where these people are coming from? Correct. Um, lately, I guess people are, the retail stores are open, so we're getting a bunch of people who bought a copy of the magazine, saw the travel, and made a call. So I don't have history with them, and I, I don't know who they are because they're not in our database. But that said, that's great because, again, we, we kind of screen everyone to see if the trip's appropriate for them. Like we have, um, we're going back to um, El Pescador in April. Uh, that's the 24th through, through the 30th. And that trip's just about full. Um, so if anyone's interested, I would say call um, sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Because that one, that was a big hit. We did it last year, um, the the COVID breakout trip. All right. And it, it was uh, it was a really good group of people and a really good time. And, you know, most of those people are coming back in addition to, you know, their spouses um, are coming as non-anglers and there's some new additions. So it's pretty unique how these groups form and they kind of travel together and they're all great people. I mean, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I'd rather be affiliated with the people I'm meeting through the magazines than the patients I'm meeting in the ER. Right. <laughs> Yeah, that's quite a deal. And I've I've known a couple of ER doctors in my time, and it's kind of interesting because most of the ones I've known have been really pretty laid back. Well, they've all been into fly fishing, and they've been really laid back. Well, what is it about the ER doctor? Are all you guys like that, where you're just like in your when you're not doing your doctor stuff, you're you're super laid back? Is that how you are? I don't know if we're super laid back. I think it's um. You definitely have to be an A-type person to uh, to be in the ER because it's really, it's high stress and, yeah. you know, it's pretty rapid. You know, I mean, it's different when you work in a rural town and you're seeing six patients right. a day, but in a big trauma center, I, I've spent most of my career in, you know, level one or level two trauma centers in high acuity ERs, and high volume. So for me, it's the wind down and I'm not always chill. I'm pretty high strung in general. Um, but the fishing allows me and tying flies and the whole lifestyle that the saltwater fly fishing, it provides an escape from all that stress and, you know, all that death and destruction that I see on a daily basis. You know, I, I come home and I tie up a tarpon toad and trim it up, you know, and look at it and say, you know what, life's not that bad. Right. I'm going to get a tarpon to eat this tomorrow. Yeah, no kidding. God, I guess, yeah, that, it's a tough field for sure. Are you 
how does that look with, I mean, I guess, uh, I'm not sure how old you are, but are you, you've got a, a number of years left, uh, in the ER? I, I I'm in my fifties in my early fifties and I'm really hoping to, um, to be out of the ER in the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. You know, my wife is a physician as well. And, um, and we're making some moves right now to, um, to kind of line up some things to, to make sure we're okay. And our son's okay. Um, so I might have to work for a few more years, but, uh, but we'll see. I mean, I, I have to work. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You live in Florida, right? It's, it's not cheap living down there, right? No, especially Miami beach. I mean, a, a pizza is $25 here, yeah. <laughs> you know, a basic pizza. It's insane. Yeah. But, um, you know, coming from Pennsylvania and I grew up in a small town, um, outside of Philadelphia, it's really kind of, uh, it's amazing how different it is. And I, I mentioned the other publication. Now, Ryan lives in Faribault, Minnesota. And Ryan's cost of living is like 15% of what my cost of living wow. is here. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's you know, the decisions you make determine the life you lead. And, you know, unfortunately, to be in a place like this um, and maintain, you know, a business, you know, you got to work your butt off. <laughs> Yeah, it's a definitely. So that's what you do. That's, and and then you added the magazine. So you, it's kind of interesting. You add the magazine to kind of uh, you know like chill you out, but at the same time, it's more work. How does that look in your daily, you know, week hours wise? How many hours are you putting into these to the magazine stuff? I, I'm constantly working on the magazines. Um, we're we're grossly understaffed, and that's mainly because. Um, all of us kind of pitch in and do what needs to be done. And every time we brought someone in, whether it be, you know, an intern or a new hire, you know, there's always a learning curve. It always slows us down. It always kind of, um, you know, creates a situation where, where the smoothly running machine is now disrupted. You know, there's smoke coming out of it. So I put a lot of time in and I, I make sure that I can do everything and take care of everything that way i know it's done right so you know george and trey they're, they're the most reliable and trustworthy and helpful people i know and they're capable of doing most of the things that i am but they don't have the the, the keys to the back door so you know i have to still do all like you know the maintenance and i have to deal with all the the contractors that we have and all the business aspects because i mean that's a full-time job for them and they have real lives and real jobs, so they, they can't take that on. So to answer your question, long, long answer to a, a short question, yep. um, I put in probably about 8 to 10 hours a day. And that's whether I'm working 12-hour shifts in the ER um, or, or not. So if I'm not working clinically, I'll put in 15 hours. If I am working clinically, I'll put in 6 to 8 you know, weekends. Yep. I'm constantly working on the magazine. So it's a full-time, yeah. So it's pretty much full-time. You got two full-time jobs on your hand, it sounds like. Correct. Yeah. And a six-year-old son. So. And a six-year-old, yeah, <laughs> that's right. So how long until your six-year-old's going to be traveling around uh, to some of these saltwater destinations with you? Well, he, he's already been, um, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So I mentioned Chico Fernandez. Um, Chico is, he's just a gem. He's one of the kindest, mm -hmm. most sincere people I know. And I've really... I've known Chico for years and I've really gotten to be good friends with him of late, um, mainly because he offered to, um, a few casting lessons. Chico's, um, Chico's pretty well known. He does casting schools, um, in Alamorada several times a year. 
um, but he's pretty well known for his casting ability and he's a smooth caster. So he offered to teach me and, and my son. So we go down to Chico's house pretty regularly and my six-year-old casts probably better than I did when I was in my twenties. Mm. Um, so he's, he's already cast in a seven weight, um, about 40, 50 feet, pretty accurately. Nice. And I've had him on the skiff a few times. Um, now, mind you, we're, we're not in a polling situation where he's looking for fish. I'll, I'll stake up on a, on a flat and chum and draw some fish in for him to, to cast to. So he can see him come in on a flat surface, white surface, but he's caught puffer fish. You know, he's caught jacks. He's caught barracudas all on fly. Wow. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. I started him off on a spinner. Um, but now that he's casting pretty well, I have him fly fishing. So I'm hoping he's going to be seven in June. I'm really hoping that by the time he's eight or nine, I could take him on a Bahamas trip or something. Yeah. I think by the eight, he'll be ready. Yeah. All right. Uh, well talk about some of these. So let's, let's keep going on some of these trips. So you've done a, a number of these trips. What, what's one of the, the salt trip you've done that maybe is the most, um, feel like the, was the most challenging or the one that was, you know, like one, maybe you'd want to really do again, kind of one of those challenging ones. Well, you're lucky because I just actually answered this question, um, in another interview, but, um, that I've been to the Maldives and not many people can say they've gone there because it's pretty remote and pretty hard to get to. So I went via Singapore. Um, I was in, um, Asia and I did Indonesia, Maldives, um, Malaysia, Papua New Guinea, and fished all these places, Northern Australia uh, as well. Mm. And when when I went out to the Maldives, it was um, it was amazing. I mean, when we we landed in in Malay, the um, the capital, and I mean, you, you can see Trevally along the seawall. Oh wow! <laughs> as you're walking in the street, I mean, it was just incredible the life there. Um, there's not a lot of fishing pressure, so that place was amazing, but super challenging because nobody knew a damn thing about fly fishing. Um, so the guides, you know, even at the, at the big resorts, the guides, you know, they had you blind casting and it's like, no, 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 oh. I want to fly. Fish. You know, this isn't bait. I'm not throwing minnows or shrimp out there. Right. Um, so you kind of had to teach the guides, um, what you wanted to do. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was pretty challenging. That said, I would like to go back because I mean, there's bump head parrot fish. There's you name it. It's, it's, I mean, for me, that was that was a trip that's more exciting than the Seychelles because there's less fishing pressure and probably just as many species and, and you know, quantity of fish. Oh, wow. No kidding. And that's just, uh, so that's kind of off the, just the tip of India? Correct. It's, uh, it's off the southern tip of India. Southern tip. And it's not far, like Seychelles, is that just that you go west a ways to get to the Seychelles? Yeah. I mean, you can go either way. You can go L.A. to... I think you have to go to Philippines and then Philippines to Seychelles. I think that's the oh, route. Yeah. If you go, you go west. If you go east, I think you have to go up into Europe and then down into Africa and then from Africa to yeah. Seychelles. Um, maybe even Madagascar. I'm not sure exactly on that one, but yeah, this is this is you have to go. We we actually flew from. Um, Florida to LAX, from LAX to Singapore. Um, we made that our base camp because they speak English. Um, and then from there, we did our trips, you know, to Malaysia, to um, to Indonesia, you know, Papua New Guinea and all, that whole route. Um, 
then for, to get to um sorry i'm way off base but uh to get to the maldives you have to go to Malaysia, fly out of uh, kuala lumpur direct to Malé, and then from Malé, once you get there it's all water taxis hmm. <laughs> so it's uh they, they have they have seaplanes and stuff, but that's mainly for the big resorts. The, um, if you don't have a boat, you're not getting too far in Maldives. There you go. So that was a uh, challenging, let, let's talk about, let's talk about somebody who maybe has done a few saltwater trips. Some of these places we've talked about, um, what would be kind of a more next level, you know, not quite to the Maldives, but a, kind of a, a, more of a mid to upper level trip you guys have coming up. So, I mean, everybody at some point, um, they want to catch the big three, tarpon, permit, and bonefish. Yep. So the reason why I love Mexico and I love Belize is because you can catch all three. Actually, you can even catch snook down there and, and make it a super slam. Um, and the fish are plentiful. So someone who's been there, who's done a few trips, and they, they kind of want something a little more challenging and a little more diverse, I, I would say you know, join us in El Pescador or at Turner Flats, you know, one of the Belize trips, there's enough variety there and diversity in the, in the fishery. I mean, you can go up into the mangroves and fish. Um, you can go off the reef and wade. I mean, you know, one of my fondest memories of Belize is just walking the reef fishing for trigger fish. And then I, I saw a huge permit up right in the surf there. And, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Then you look to your left and there's a school of bonefish in the mangroves. Belize is great. It's fantastic. And I think it offers even, um, even a very experienced angler. I think it offers them enough, um, diversity and enough challenge to where the get something out of it. When you look at it, if you look around kind of the world saltwater, is it easier to break it up to say, break it up by species and say, okay, these are, if you had 20 trips to do, these are the 20 by species, or is it easier to break it up by uh, say region or area or country? How would you do that? That's kind of tough. I mean, you're not going to fish for striped bass down in Florida. They just don't exist here. So maybe species that, that you would say, okay, these are the, the, yeah, these are kind of the bucket list species I want to get. And then you just go to the, the place that you could get them. Yeah. I, I think that's the way we've always done it. We've always said, okay, we're going to target permit. So what's the best place for permit? Well, Southern Belize is known to be, you know, the house of permit uh, with Lincoln Westby. Oh, yeah. So about, oh, I don't even know how long it was, maybe 12 years ago, I got to actually fish with Lincoln. And, you know, I wanted to see that whole Blue Horizon experience, meet the Westbies and go. And I'll tell you, one of the best experiences of my life. But that's how I kind of pick destinations. I'll say, okay, if I want to catch a tarpon, you know, where I'll look for where they're most plentiful or where they're biggest or, you know, that sort of thing. I'll find some characteristic to chase after. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I was researching where to fish for tarpon, you know, the West coast, Northern West coast of Africa is where some of the records are from Costa Rica, um, Homosasa, Florida, you know, you, you find these places where large fish are caught and they're plentiful. Um, and then as you do it a couple of times, like I've been fishing for decades Again, I'm in my 50s, so I've been around the world, but now you start to look at things like, okay, well, I fished for tarpon in Costa Rica, but I never fished for them in this way. So, you know, I found a unique place to fish for them in um, Tortuguero. It's a little finger island on the um, east coast of Costa Rica, and they actually feed on baby sea turtles there. 
they're they're in the surf and there's sharks and there's all kinds of crap in there and it, it's absolutely nuts but you're fishing these like i call them uh turtle frisbees but they're they're flies that are like big round green discs that that have some appendage hanging off the back of them and they look like baby sea turtles and tarpon gulp them down like they're um you know tarpon crack <laughs> so yeah, that's a- I'm way off track again, but it's finding not just the species, but the species in a certain environment. You know, if you want to catch bonefish in big schools or in muds, yeah, you can, you can do that anywhere in the Caribbean. But if you want to catch really big bonefish that are going to tail 20 feet in front of you, you go to places like Turks and Caicos or you go to um, Seychelles or, you know, you go to places looking for a particular size and characteristic or behavior in a fish. Yeah. Most people come to the Florida Keys, you know, trying to find those migratory tarpon that are coming out of the backcountry and going oceanside. And they'll stake up in these channels for days and sit there and wait for 150 or 170 pound tarpon to come through. That's some of the hardest fishing there is. Right. Right, yeah, that's that's some crazy stuff. What's your next uh, the the next trip you have coming here? Do you have a uh, you know? I'm not even sure you've got. I know you got a bunch of hosted trips you're putting together, but what's the next trip you're going on? Well, I'm actually um, Chico and I are going to go out to uh, Flamingo on Friday um, tomorrow, and um, we fish usually for snook. Um, probably find some tarpon back there, and definitely some redfish. And then the next travel I have. Um, the guys from Thomas and Thomas are coming down, I think in early March, they're going to fish Key West. Um, so I'm going to join them and bring my boat down, um, kind of be a chase boat and fish a little bit while they're doing their thing. And, um, of course we have the hosted trip to, um, to Cayo Francis, um, March 27th. That's going to be hosted. Um, but I think I host that one. And then, uh, El Pescador is, um, uh, hosted by Trey, and then we have our tournament in May. Okay. What was the first one uh, that you said you're going on, potentially? Oh, I, I'm going on all of them. <laughs> oh, you are? Yeah, you are. Yeah, I, I go on all the trips, whether oh, I'm you the do. host or not. Yeah, I do. Um, the reason why I have other people host them is sometimes I can't be there for the whole week. Sometimes I get in the day after the first day, you know, or I have to leave a day early. So I always have, um, I always have someone, unless it's my trip and, you know, I'm the dedicated host, but I, you know, I, I would be divorced and, um, and homeless if, uh, yeah. <laughs> if I host it every month. Right. I was going to say, yeah, with, with, uh, you know, we were talking to Tom, uh, last week, you know, I think he, he mentioned like 20 trips or something that, that I think he's trying to set up, or I don't know if those are all saltwater trips, but I guess some of them are. So you're doing, yeah. So you got some hosted trips and, and as the host that requires a lot, I mean, quite a bit of work there too, right? When you're the host, is that kind of a, a, like a full-time job as well? It is. It really, everyone thinks it's, it's glamorous to be a host, but I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. You have to make sure you have to, to attend to, you're the personal valet for, for 10 to 15 people. And I'm not complaining about it because no one makes crazy requests and no one's difficult. It's just, you know, you got to be on your game and, you know, you have to make sure everybody's tucked in. Everybody has what they need. And I'm a little fanatical about, um, gear. So I usually show up and I check everyone's gear and make sure, you know, knots are good. Um, you know, they have right line on there. I, I give everyone leaders. We manufacture leaders. So I usually bring leaders and get everyone, you know, with a 12 foot, you know, either fluorocarbon or mono, whatever they prefer, but put new leaders on, you know, I, I usually bring 
hundreds of flies. I love to tie, so it's it's kind of my release, um, and they go to good use because everyone uses them. So yeah, it's um, it's a full time thing, and it's a lot of work, but it, there's also a lot of reward at the end of the day when you know you're you're going through hundreds of pictures that everybody took and pulled together. You know, it's um, it's pretty cool thing to see all those smiling faces and all those great memories that people are going to have for a lifetime. This episode is also presented by the CRC system from Trestle, providing secure and convenient storage for your fully rigged fly rods. Did I mention they're fully rigged? This is not breaking down that four-piece rod anymore. This is not uh, tucking it away in the back of the car, letting it bounce around. This is putting it in a secure uh, storage unit on top of the car, bang down the road, and you're still covered. The CRC system comes with these secure mounting claps. These can go on top of a Thule rack, Yakima, even on top of just your normal luggage rack. You can strap this thing down, and it telescopes out to, uh, I think it's up to a little over 10 feet, so you can get in your full-size rod, which is amazing. And uh, it just makes it convenient and faster to get on and off the rotter. I know that, you know, lots of us are coming out of town, getting off work, uh, and it's, you only got a quick shout to get out there. So having your rod fully rigged, ready to go is huge. You don't have to worry about it. Just know it's up on top. You got your vest in the back. Uh, you got a fly box. You got your waders, whatever. Just make it simple and make it easy. Lots of things covered here for you, so I can't get into it all today. I'm just going to have to send you over to uh, Trestle, wetflyswing.com slash Trestle. And that's Trestle spelt specifically here. Re- remember this, T-R-X-S-T-L-E. So it looks like Trextle, right? looks like Trextle, but it's Trestle. T-R-X-S-T-L-E. Check it out. Check them out right now. John's got some good stuff going there. They're kicking some butt. So uh, you support this podcast right now. Easy way to support it is to go over there and click through that link and go check out Trestle and see how they can serve you. Okay, back to the show. What are some, when you're getting ready for the trip, what's a, you know, what's that look like for you? Do you have kind of your your 100-point uh, checklist to get everything? I mean, give us a few tips on preparing. If somebody's coming on the one of these hosted trips with you, do you, um, how do they know to make sure they're all good to go, they have everything they need? So, well, most of them call me directly because once you're on the trip and once your deposit's down or you, you've made your payment, um, you know, you're basically priority one because you're, you're definite. So, it, so usually they call me directly or they text me and they say, you know, they'll send a picture of a fly or they'll send a picture of a fly line from the store and say, should I get this? You know, and that type of thing. I usually tell people don't overpack. Because that's what everyone does. You know, they, they come to Belize and they're going to fish for four species. So they think they have to bring like eight rods, you know, <laughs> the primary rod and a backup. When the reality is, you know, I've, I've kind of simplified everything over the years of doing it. And, you know, you, you can probably get away with, with a seven weight and a 10 weight there. Um, you know, you fish your seven for the smaller permit bonefish and, and snook. And then you fish 10 for the bigger permit and, um, and the tarpon. You know, you, you can easily get away with two rods. So I, I, my advice, and it's consistent when everyone, um, with everyone on the trips, is basically, you know, simplify. Think about what you actually need. And then, you know, I, I tell them, you, you really need this, this, and this. If you want to bring this, that's fine. You know, they're, they're bringing backup reels. They're bringing all kinds of stuff. It's like, when was the last time you blew up a reel? Yeah. You know, on a the trip, you know, on, on a three-pound bonefish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, I, I kind of talk them out of bringing all that unnecessary stuff. Yep. And then, you know, I'll send them pictures of the flies that 
I recommend. Um, and I tell them you can tie these, you can buy these, but I have them. So don't spend a lot of money on flies and, you know, ask anyone that's been on my trips. It's flies have never been an issue. You know, leaders have never been an issue and gear has never been an issue. I think the biggest thing is people always forget sunblock. Um, people always forget like hats and protective gear. So what I usually do is um, I decrease the amount of gear I bring. I'll bring like a, an extra uh, rod and an extra reel in case someone breaks something or, you know, falls off the boat, something yeah. silly, just so we have extra. Um, the lodges usually have extra gear as well, especially El Pescador. They have a full fly shop there. So, um, All right. yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty sufficient. But, uh, you know, I, I replace the, the extra gear with protective stuff. So I'll bring extra hats. I'll bring extra sunblock. I'll bring sun gloves. I'll bring buffs. I'll bring everything that people need. You know, I'll, I'll always have an extra shirt, you know, extra pair of long pants and that sort of thing. So that way people aren't getting burnt because, I mean, you get sunburned on the first day and, and your whole trip, you know, yeah. you, you got to hide from the sun for the next three days. Right. Yeah. So my, my focus is more on making sure they have the the things to be comfortable because you know they can use my stuff if they're missing a piece of gear i'm not as worried about the gear i used to be back before i knew um you know how little you actually destroy equipment i mean that said if you go to seychelles i would definitely bring extra stuff <laughs> yeah, but um right but if right. you're going to, oh you're going to belize you're going to the bahamas you're not going to blast yeah. through equipment so no, so typical. So don't make it too difficult. Just get your couple of rods, just your couple of setups, and then your gear, and then um, yeah, and then pretty much you're flying in. Are you? Are people flying into? Let's take that. Uh, I guess you mentioned the Bahamas. Is that a trip? Do you have some stuff you're going to be doing there, or is that one you already did? Uh, we did that one in November. We have another one coming up in November as well because it was a big hit, um, and it seems to be a good time of year. But anyway, yeah, we um, in that Bahamas trip we. That particular lodge, Daniki Lodge, Andrew South, they have a, a they're right on the on the beach there. So they have a an extensive area to um to cast. They have a, an old skiff set up so you can stand on the bow and they have markers, like shell markers with distance. So what we do there is um George actually hosts that trip because George is he's the author of uh, Master Cast, uh, as well as Saltwater Naturals, and he did the the video series for Master the Cast. So George is um he's a, a student of Joan Wolf. Um, oh, yeah. and this is George Roberts. Um, so George V Roberts jr. If people are going to Google him and find his books, but you know, he, he's probably one of the most underrated casters in the whole, whole country. He, I would, I would put him in the top 1% of all casters out there. I mean, you have Mark Sadati, who's fantastic. Obviously, you know, you had lefty and, and we still have Chico. Um, there's a lot of good casters out there, but George, George is never mentioned in that list and he, he really should be. Mm -hmm. But, um, George does video casting lessons on that trip because he has the, the time and the space to do it. So anyone that goes on that trip, they get a free video analysis with George. Um, you know, he, he actually breaks down their, um, their, their cast, um, in, in this casting program, I forget what it's called, but, um, not a casting program, but a video program. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's people come out of that trip and they're like, I'm glad I did this. It's, it's, you know, I'm a far better caster than I was before I came here. When your group can walk out saying something like that, or, you know, they, they learn some technique or how to tie a certain fly or, you know, my methods for packing things, you know, whatever. Right. Or how to cast again, the wind, uh, <laughs> how to cast with the wind. 
yeah, had a back cast into the wind. That's yeah. when we're working on. <laughs> oh, there you go. But, uh, yeah, but you know, when they come out a stronger angler and they had fun for a week, you know, what more could you ask for, honestly? So, and you said the Bahamas. So, at this site, you're going to go there and get uh, plenty of bonefish, but maybe not as any super monster fish. Is that kind of what it looks like? Yeah, I mean, you know, Andros is. If you go north, Andros. Um, there are larger fish. You go west side, there's larger fish. In the bigger creeks, um, you'll find the solitary fish. I mean, they're there. But the majority of the fish that you'll be fishing for in the Bahamas are, you know, smaller, under under three pounds. And, you know, they're they're basically coming out of the uh, the channels on the reef. You know, they're, they're just all around in, in big schools. And that's how you usually find them. The bigger fish, they're usually they become more solitary. Um, one theory is that as a fish gets caught and, you know, breaks away from its, uh, from its school, you know, those are the fish that become the, the, the solitary, you know, large fish that we catch on the West side and, you know, and up North, they move around and become independent. I don't know if that's true or not, but, um, but they're there. I mean, it's, it's the perfect place because if you want to be challenged, you can go West side and you, you can hunt. And that's what I call it. You know, you, you hunt for that, that solitary or those big bonefish in pairs. If you're new to the game and you just want to get on the books and, and have a good day and catch 20 bonefish, you stay on the other side, you, you know, you, you can tailor your experience at Andros based on your skill level. So we had people who had been fishing for 30 years and people who started six months prior to going on this trip on that Andrews trip and everybody caught fish and everybody was happy. Yeah. That's it. That's what you're saying. It's for everybody. So that's a good, yeah. For a first timer, somebody who's done a few just to get out pretty easy trip. And is this a, a Denneke, is this kind of a lodge everybody's going to there? Is that kind of situation? That's one of them. There's, um, there's a bunch of lodges there. We, we happen to have a relationship with, um, with Denneke because we, we basically have been going there for years. I, I think I, I was first time I was in Daniki, I think was maybe 2008, 2007, maybe even earlier. I don't even remember exactly, but, um, but that's a place that, that we know well, they treat us well, and they also accommodate any special requests we have. So they're, they're pretty cool about it. They've always been good to us. Um, there's other lodges there. There's, there's bears, there's, um, mm-hmm. there's Pleasant Bay. Um, there's a whole bunch in South Andros. I think there's five or six lodges and there's a couple in North Andros as well. We just happen to like this one because it's only a few minutes away from the airport. And what I usually have the, the group do is they fly into Fort Lauderdale and then we jump on either. If we have enough people, we just charter a plane. Um, if not, we just jump on one of the private airlines that jumps over to Congo town every day. Um, so we don't have to deal with the hustle and bustle of the major airlines and the transfers going from Nassau to, uh, to Andros. And it's pretty streamlined. We've been doing it for so many years that it's kind of easy for us. Yep. And you know, the people that come on that trip, they, they, they get the advantage of our experience and, you know, it's a pretty comfortable ride for them all the way around pretty easy that, that's cool well let, let's uh let's take us out of here here and uh start this with the um with the fly shop friday uh segment we have here and uh what i like to do is just start out with your your local fly shop i'm not sure if we've talked about that yet do you have a shop uh nearby near where you're at down in uh in miami we don't have a shop in miami well we we do have a shop in miami but it's awful 
Is it Roy? Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to completely trash it, but yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, we don't want trashy, but let's let's keep that. So you don't have so there's not a that always I guess it always surprises me because I've heard that before, like even up in some places in New York and stuff, right? Where you would think, you know, there's lots of fishing, but you don't hear about the shops. Is that just because what why is that? Well, for example, Miami's expensive. So the rents are expensive. So I don't think, you know, a, a small retail shop, you know, fly shops have to be pretty big and um, have a lot of volume to make money. And, you know, in order to have proper inventory, you need a big space and it's, it's expensive. So I think they, I know there's not one on the beach and there's never going to be one on the beach because I mean, even some big name restaurants are, are closing up shop because the rent's just oh, wow. too much. I mean, 45 grand, 50 grand a month. Jeez. Really? For rent? Yeah. Crazy. So, you know, fly shop is never going to exist on Miami beach unless, you know, someone buys me a building and I open it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, um. But that said, um, you know, there's the local fly shop for me is Old Florida Fly Shop in um, Fort Lauderdale. Okay. Old Florida. Yeah. So I actually have, you know, um, all the stuff I need here. I mean, I pretty much have my own fly shop. I have shelves and shelves of, of fly tying materials and hooks and y- you name it. It's all here. But when I when I actually need something or, you know, I need to order parts or take something in for repair i i use old uh, old florida yep. and they carry the magazine um darren's an angler and does a lot of good stuff for the um saltwater guide association and they do a lot of um giveaways and things so he's he's part of the community and even though it's a little bit of a schlep to drive up to fort lauderdale and and whatever you know that's my shop yeah that's it and and along with that you know on the fly shop so uh, and Give us a, uh, we've been talking today a little bit. I guess we've been talking all over the place, but um, let, let's take it to that uh, Andros trip, uh, or I guess you could just keep it in general. Give us a tip, kind of saltwater fish. So somebody's out there, they're uh, maybe, maybe it's their first uh, trip down there. Maybe it's that person you said has only been doing it for six months, been fishing, and he's out there. Um, what, what would you tell? What, what kind of tip would you give that person? Wow. <laughs> I can go in many different directions. And is that you when you when you're out there as the as the host? Are you actually on some of these trips out there on the boat? Kind of, or, or is it more the guides are always there and you're kind of not really, you know, providing the tips and tricks necessarily? It varies. I'm usually on the boat, and you know whether whether I'm the authority or not. People ask me questions anyway because it's you know I, I'm the editor of the magazine. I'm the host right. of the trip. Blah, blah, blah. But um, but no, they uh, you know surprisingly the guides know their fishery but they don't know a whole lot many of them i mean some of them are super knowledgeable but many of them don't even know about you know the ecosystem and you know what Mm. the fish are eating they just know that they show up on this flat at a certain time under certain conditions and i find this to be true mostly in the bahamas and the caribbean you know it's it's not their life goal to be a um fishing guide it's just that they're kind of in it because there aren't any other opportunities or, or many other opportunities. So this is the, the best way for them to make a living. Gotcha. The ones that are really passionate and love fly fishing, they're the guides who are great. They're the ones who are staying out late. They're yeah. the ones who are, you know, there's, they're tying their own flies, but that's not all of them. So I guess my, my advice usually is, um, you know, I, I, I always check gear and, and I always give people kind of the fundamentals, um, yeah. like a new angler, you know, make sure 
you know, you just cast to a fish, you just hooked up, you let it go. Now you're excited and you step up on the deck to cast again. Well, did you check your leader for any nicks? Did you check your knots? Did you check right. your hook? To make sure, you know what I mean? And yeah, these, these are that like that the new guy won't know because he hasn't made that mistake yet because he hasn't done it enough times. Yeah. So it's more guidance rather than tips. It's kind of preventing preventable mm-hmm. mistakes from happening and, and giving them a little insight. So they're not as much a rookie, you know, after a day on the skiff with me. Yeah. You know, I, the biggest trick we're uh, excited about is uh, how to open a bottle on a skiff without a bottle opener. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there's about 15 different ways to do it. So, you yeah. know, but a lot of people have never, uh, a bottle of beer, you know, with a lighter or, you know, right with the console boat, you know? Yep. So, but it's, right. it's fun stuff. And, you know, passing that, that knowledge on and, you know, also learning from others. I mean, you know, I, I, I fished with, a, um, in the Bahamas, uh, with a guy who I think he was 75 and he was 72 and this guy's fished all over the place. I mean, he has a vacation home in South Carolina, just visits to go red fishing. So, I mean, he, he's, he's an nice. avid fly fisher. And, you know, he, he caught his first barracuda on a fly with me. And that was great. You know, I saw it, um, gave him the rod, you know, told him what to do. And he kind of knew what to do. I don't think he really needed my advice. But, you know, it was really cool to watch his excitement and watch this thing jumping out of the air and, you know, sharing that experience with a veteran angler so a lot of good stuff you know and uh, you know yeah yeah no it's good give me you mentioned uh flies so you're out there uh, for bonefish what is your what's your one fly you're, you're putting on there well it depends on the location i have a fly and that was featured in tail fly fishing magazine i don't remember which issue it was but it, it's my evolution fly so bob branham is um He's one of the legendary guides here in the Keys. If if you come to Miami and you say, I want to catch a permit on a fly, who's the best guide? You go to any fly shop, you go anywhere and, and ask anyone who knows. They're going to say Bob Branham or Carl Ball. They're going to say those two guys. And I, I know both of them personally. I'm very close with Bob um, and good friends with Carl as well. So they, they both fish the bay. They both fish for permit and they both have their own flies. They're remarkably similar, but Branham's fly is kind of a take of the mother of epoxy. So to make a um, short answer, incredibly long, I've (laughs) modified his fly. So his fly is pretty basic. It's a a couple of hackles and then it's a, it's a palmered hackle and then an epoxy head. And this is all based on um, Del Brown's Merkin um, because they noticed that maybe the legs gave it some action, but it was the weight. It was the sink rate of the fly that made the fish chase it. It had the right sink rate. So Branham's fly has exactly that. You cast it, it plunks in the water like a rock. It sinks to the bottom. And then when you strip it, it bounces up and drops again. So it has this incredible action that makes the permit go crazy. And I love it because, you know, you're not always going to make a perfect cast. Let's face it. You're going to make a perfect cast, maybe yeah. 5% of the time, 10% of the time, you know, even if you're a good caster. Um, so the ability to move the fly is everything. So I've modified permit fly and I created the evolution fly mm-hmm. and it, it's kind of half Peterson spawning shrimp, 
um, and half Bob Branham's fly with the epoxy head. So that's my go-to fly for most situations. I like it for permit because I don't know why people throw these big chunky crabs that you can't strip at permit because you're never going to put it exactly where you need it. So once you move that fly, it has that unnatural movement and the fish spook and they disappear. I always cast a shrimp pattern, you know, first, um, because if I can get them to, to chase, then I, I pull the jack out of them and they'll usually eat it. I have to be able to move the fly. If I, I'm dealing with, you know, with just a, a plain old crab, because uh-uh. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that great a caster. I mean, I can't cast 60 feet and, and drop it in a little, you know, cup. Right. A little cup. Exactly. Nice. Well, I'll put, uh, I'll put some links in the show notes to some past episodes we've had on some of the saltwater and permit focused and things like that. Uh, well, before we get out of here, Joe, anything else you want to give a heads up on in the next kind of uh, year or whatever? Uh, I know you got some big trips coming. Anything else uh, you haven't talked about here today? Um, no, we, we have, um, we have those trips and I encourage people to, um, to join us. It's always a great group and it's always informative and, um, you always go home with something other than, um, great memories because there's a lot of, um, skilled anglers on, on these trips that, and also we have, um, we have fluorocarbon and monofilament, uh, leaders and ours are, um, they're pretty good um i got thumbs up from andy from chico um from sandy Moret, from a lot of people uh that these are quality and i encourage people to try them out they're they're readily available they're cheaper than most of the other brands out there and i think we're we may be the only one that's actually manufacturing a 12 foot 10 12 16 and 20 pound tippet strength in fluorocarbon mm-hmm. so take a look especially if you're going on a saltwater trip they're going to help you out a whole lot and these are like, what are they? This is like your brand of leaders? Yeah, they're tail fly fishing uh, magazines. They're, they're, we call them perfectionist leaders. They're looped end. Um, they're, they're, we, they come monofilament and they also come in uh, fluorocarbon. And they're 12 feet long and they're, they're made specifically for, for saltwater fly fishing. Oh, gotcha. Because of that added length. I mean, most, most tippets are only 9 feet, 10 feet. But that extra two feet when you're fishing spooky fish in crystal clear water really makes a huge difference. You can also, if you like, a lot of people like to nail knot or um, or blood knot things, but you can do a looped end uh, if you want. Cut off our loop and make your own loop or you can nail knot it. So there's some flexibility without losing much of the butt section. Gotcha. And do you guys have a few different products with uh, with tail or like swag or what do, what do you guys have there? Is this the main thing you guys have? We have some hats and shirts, but we, we don't make a lot of stuff. We kind of focus on the fishing. Yep. Most of the stuff we have is related to fly tying and fly fishing. So we have the leaders in mono and fluoro. We have um, three different types of fly tying scissors, and they're all branded. They're really – the razor scissors are the best out there. They're super sharp. I mean, I could probably do surgery with these <laughs> things. I found a medical-grade um, manufacturer, and I and I had these made. Oh, right. So these, these are pretty much top of the line. And the – cheaper than most of the non-medical grade, you know, junk that's out there. But we have fly tying scissors. Um, we make some boxes, um, but, you know, COVID kind of um, put a big halt to our product line because um, the oh, yeah. retail stores were closed and, you know, yeah. we, we pretty much sold out of stock and we haven't replenished it because we don't know when this stupid pandemic is going to end. So, yeah, I'm glad you brought up COVID because I, I'd like you since you're a doctor and you're on the front lines. Um, 
I'm curious, are we gonna are we kinda at the start of the end of the world or what's your take on it? Are we are we all gonna be good? Put our mind at ease on, on all this stuff. Are we it seems like we've been in a crazy world the last few years and um what's your take on it? Quick take. Give me your under a minute take on it. Okay. Crazy is an understatement. We have done things for this virus that we haven't done for much more lethal situations. So two years ago, I wrote something in my letter to the editor um, that said, you know, the world has gone crazy. You know, we're, we're being required to isolate and wear masks and nothing we do is going to prevent this virus from spreading. And two years later, I can thump on my chest, um, you know, and, and puff out my chest because I was 100% right. It's completely illogical. This is just another virus. Less than 1% of the population was affected by it. And when I say affected, um, terminally ill or, or very, very ill yeah. with long-term effects. So it's essentially a really, really, really bad flu. And this is going to be with us for the rest of our lives. Yeah. You know, it's not the first COVID virus that causes disease in humans. If you've ever had viral pharyngitis or, you know, or a cold that was not a rhinovirus, it was probably a COVID virus because COVID is the number one cause of viral pharyngitis in humans, not this particular one. But COVID viruses are all around us, and this thing is going to be part of life. It's going to be a seasonal thing where, oh, the COVID bug this year has this symptom, you know, this primary yeah. symptom, and it's going to be like the flu, where we guess at what what it's going to be and it comes around seasonally and everybody gets it and everybody gets better and we don't shut down the entire world for it yeah there you go that's a good summary nice joe well hey thanks for uh, the time today uh appreciate you digging into this and excited to hopefully connect with you on some stuff coming up here and um, yeah thanks for all your time and all your knowledge and keeping the magazines going this is exciting i'm gonna definitely uh check out strong as well you know i think you've got a lot of good stuff going so uh looking forward to keeping touch with you all right sounds good dave nice talking to you take care so there you go want to find all the show notes all links everything else we covered today head over to wetflyswing.com slash 289 289 or we'll get you there and i know i say that a lot at the start here but it's just a reminder that 289 is where a lot of these links that we can't put everything in everywhere so if you want to head over there this will be the full summary of everything we got and some bonuses including our app oh it's essentially not an app it kind of is but it is a transcript of everything we talked about here every single word is written down there in this transcript that you can read and search so it's a killer way to search i always like to give a heads up to that just a reminder i want you to head over to spotify right now and leave that five star rating if you can if you've been enjoying the show if this episode was helpful this gives you some inspiration to get going i would love for you to help us out there help out the community thanks in advance if you've already left a review we have another mega, mega dega superstar on Tuesday, the Tuesday show, Harry Murray. If you haven't heard about Harry, he has been leading the way back in the Northeast, in the Virginia area, and just been going for a long time. Smallmouth bass, trout, he's got all sorts of good stuff. We're going to focus a little bit on brook trout and, of course, his story uh, next Tuesday. So click that subscribe button if you can, uh, if you haven't already, and you will get updated when this Harry Murray, this epic episode comes out with Harry. This guy has been a big influencer for many of the guests we've had on this show. And, uh, and I'm always excited when we get some of these big, big people, big names, big, uh, big he's got a cool, he's got a unique, uh, I love his accent too. It's a pretty awesome, awesome show. So I think you're going to love this one. I'm going to let you get out of here. I'm going to skip the uh, chitter chatter today and let you get to the next episode, whatever you're working on or, or get to, uh, you know, I'm not sure. Maybe you're on YouTube. Maybe you're heading over there. 
maybe you're just getting back out on the water. And um, yeah, if you're on the water, uh, you know, I want to say good luck uh, today on your fishing. And I hope this, this episode gives you something to think about on your way home. Uh, about some other areas we can go to because I know I've been talking about this for a little while but um, I'm hopeful that this year is going to be a year we're going to get out and do some cool stuff. Some cool stuff in salt, some cool stuff in fresh, some steel water, uh, some river, you you name it, we're going to do it. Thanks for your support today. Thank you for being uh, a listener to this show. I know you have a lot of places you could be right now and I appreciate you listening to the very end here and uh, and I'm going to let you get out of here. All right. Have a great day. See you on the river. See you on the water. See you online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.